0: Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Die Tryin', your favorite Michigan podcast. I'm your host Danny Mogo and today we're going to talk about the Nebraska game as well as a kind of mid-season recap looking forward to the second half of the season. The Nebraska game. I don't think we can overstate how big of a win this was. And I know you were probably thinking I'm overstating it by saying that. But this was a Nebraska team that is a talented football team that came into this game playing very good football, had won two games in a row, lost by a touchdown to Oklahoma on the road, lost in overtime to Michigan State on the road, and then absolutely bludgeoned Northwestern 56-7. to Coming into this Michigan game, it was going to be a home night game in front of the national audience. It was against a top 10 undefeated team. It was the perfect opportunity for Nebraska to get a monster win on their ledger and show that Scott Frost and the program are headed in the right direction. You can call it their Super Bowl. They put everything into this game and thought they were going to beat Michigan. They were confident they were going to beat Michigan. And they played well. Nebraska played well. So Michigan had to play well to beat them. And I'm going to compare this to a game that happened in the SEC that was going on around the same time. Obviously, I was focused on the Michigan game, so I actually didn't really see a lot of Texas A&M Taking the lead against Alabama, but I was able to watch Alabama take the lead and saw Texas A&M respond. Those games are analogous. Texas A&M, you had a program that had higher expectations going into the season, obviously higher than Nebraska's, but I think it's fair to say Alabama's expectations were higher than Michigan's as well. So you know that's how analogies work. You know they're not even they're not equals. They're analogous. They're analogies. That's some dance planning for you. Early, early dance planning on the podcast today. Similar teams in terms of being disappointed, being criticized, but having talent. Having probably more talent than your record would indicate. And having a blue blood, big name program in your conference, undefeated team coming to your house. And you know, this, you know what this is? This is opportunity this is opportunity this is what every athlete wants an opportunity on the field to prove how good you are and then you play well and then you get confidence right it's not you don't you don't have to win every game by 10 20 30 40 points to be impressive sometimes you just got to find a way to win and show that you can take that other team's shot show you can be Uh, Tyson Fury, and get knocked down, but then you get back up, and then you knock the other guy down, and you win the fight, you win the game, and that's, I think, what Michigan did on Saturday against a very hungry, talented, live team in the Nebraska Cornhuskers. I was extremely impressed with the offense, particularly the running game. Remember, this is a Nebraska team that had shut down K-9 in the second half against the Michigan State game. They completely shut down Michigan State's entire offense in the second half. The only points they got were on a punt return, which is it's a game probably Nebraska should have won. You know, people say Nebraska should have beaten Michigan. I I, I disagree. They could have beaten Michigan. They certainly could have. They had chances. But I think to say they should have won is going, you know, a little too far, in my opinion. I I, I think that's a bit of a stretch to say Nebraska should have won the game. But the opportunity was there. Against, Against Michigan State, they should have won. They allowed seven points to Fordham, three points to Buffalo, 23 to Oklahoma, 23 to Michigan State. That includes a field goal in overtime. And a punt return for a touchdown. So in regulation, Sparty only scored 13 points against them. They held uh, the offense, I should say. The Spartans' offense scored 13 points. They held Northwestern to a single touchdown. And Michigan put 32 points up on that defense. And not only did they score 32 points, they ran the ball effectively. They ran for 204 yards. 204 Kenneth Walker is considered to be the best running back in the country. They shut him down. Hassan Haskins rushed for 123 yards, two touchdowns, 5.9 per carry. That spectacular 50-yard hurdle run. You had Blake Corum, 89 yards, 6.8 yards per carry. He had a 29-yard scoring scamper using that speed. So their running backs really, this was the best uh, any running backs have looked against nebraska this season cade mcnamara threw for 255 yards he did have his first interception of the year it was an uneven effort from cade in my opinion he made some good throws um credit to the coaching staff for getting him some easy throws particular in third down situations where he was able to find uh his tight end i believe once it was schoonmaker and once it was Eric Hall for first key first downs on third down plays, you know, all these quarterbacks, all these quarterbacks that put up nice numbers and good numbers, they get help from their coaching staffs, setting them up for easy throws. Cade got that on Saturday. Did he miss some? Yeah, he missed some. There's no doubt about it. He missed some. And that's something he needs to get better at. The receiving core could have helped him a little more, particularly... Dalen Baldwin, who I know was uh, hard on himself, and we're going to talk about this with our guest later on in the show. He was targeted fourteen times, had only six catches, and he had a, a few that you know shoulda, coulda, woulda. I th- I think when you get when you get like four couldas, you got to come down with a couple of them, right? You got to come down with one or two. Dalen Baldwin came to Michigan to show he is an NFL-caliber receiver. He picked Michigan in part because of this. It's what I said earlier in the show, opportunity. This is a kid Ohio State wanted. He knew he wasn't going to get an opportunity there. That receiving core is stacked. It's the best in the country. That's why you know Williams left Ohio State to go to Alabama, where now he's their best receiver there, or at least up there with Mechie. So Dalen Baldwin got his opportunity on Saturday, targeted 14 times more than anybody else. He's got to do better. I think he knows that. Question is, can he? We don't know. We don't know if he can do better. Somebody else here needs to step up as that number one guy, or at least close to that, with uh, Ronnie Bell out for the season. And you it didn't help that Wilson was out for this game. But overall, you have to be extremely happy with how the offense performed against uh what's been a very good Nebraska defense defensively. It was a rough second half. There's no way of there's no other way to to look at it. The first half, they looked pretty dominant. You can't ask for more than a shutout, right? You really can't. I mean they you know Nebraska moved that ball in that opening drive. I, I honestly I had a feeling Scott Frost was gonna go for it. I kinda wanted him to go for it because I felt that if they just tried to run it up the middle, there was no way No way they were going to convert that first down on that play, and that's exactly what happened. Michigan got the ball back. Nebraska was not able to get on the board at all in the first half. I I didn't think it was going to be a game. I know the score, the margin could have been greater than 13-0. I didn't think it was going to be a game, but it turned into a game. I was a little bit surprised uh, at how well Nebraska was able to throw the ball, which is a little bit of a concern. Um, Going in, my one concern was, The running of Adrian Martinez. Honestly, I'm kind of glad he only ran the ball eight times. He was only sacked once. He averaged 4.8 yards per carry. That includes a sack, 35 net yards on seven carries. So five yards a carry. Look at that quick math in the head there. In the game against Rutgers, when their quarterback was running and using the read option, to me, that was some of the easier runs Michigan gave up this season, I thought where they kind of got out of their lanes and out of their positions uh, defensively due to that read option. So that was probably the main thing that I was concerned about Nebraska going into this game was uh, the ability of Adrian Martinez to control that. I thought there were some issues there. He did make some plays through the air. It wasn't all to the receiving core. In fact, it was a lot to the running back. There was a couple of busted plays. Where Michigan just missed out on their coverage, including two long touchdown passes. So that's something that the defense definitely needs to work on, definitely needs to uh clean up there. 43-yard touchdown to the running back, 46-yard touchdown to the tight end. Those were the two biggest plays for Nebraska and allowed Nebraska to get back into the game. Yeah, I know the the, the touchdown to the tight end was an illegal formation. And that play shouldn't have counted. I don't know if I'm going to go as far as to say that the alignment is what necessarily caused Allen, who's six feet, nine inches, not an easy guy to miss when he's running downfield. Um, I'm not going to say I'm not going to give them a pass defensively purely because of that. But what you did like is what I really liked the most is how this team responded to the adversity. As I said at the top, this was a Nebraska team that was really hyped up, ready for this game, confident in this game. The crowd was into it. Tough as an opposing night crowd, as I think I've seen a Michigan team go up against. That is a phenomenal group there in Lincoln. When the chips were down, this Michigan team responded. They responded, and you got to love that. You got to love that for for that night and you got to love that for their chances moving forward because you know to continue winning these games, to continue having a, a, a successful season, to continue disproving the doubters about this ball club, about this team, they will be faced with challenges again. They were the last team Alabama fell behind early. Michigan was the last team to have trailed in a game, in the 2021 season. And that was coming off their quarterback throwing an interception, which set up the go-ahead touchdown for Nebraska at 22-19. First time all year. Basically the end of the third quarter. Less than a minute left in the third quarter. And Michigan, for the first time, looks up at the scoreboard and is trailing 22-19. And I can't remember what music they played, but they do something with the lights and music. And I was like, oh, this is a little different than the Wisconsin game, right? When Jump Around came up and everybody was jumping around and into it. And uh, Michigan was in control of the game against the Badgers. I I was like, I wonder how they're going to respond. Harbaugh said the team didn't flinch on the field. And that's something I'm going to bring up with Isaiah Hole later on because I know that's something he wrote about. But they didn't even flinch in that moment. You know, they they were jumping around and enthusiastic. They didn't let the fact that they went five games in almost three quarters before they trailed. And suddenly, you're losing. In a game that you were winning 13-0. In a game that you were winning 19-7. You're losing, trailing, unexpectedly, quickly. The turnover, right? That happened fast. Nebraska scored a touchdown. And less than a minute later... They scored another touchdown to take the lead. And just like that, you went from up 12 to down three. How did Michigan respond? How did the offense do? How did K. McNamara do on that drive? Well, they went 10 plays, 75 yards to retake the lead. And then when Nebraska answered, how did that Michigan offense respond? They went nine plays, 69 yards, and tied the ball game. So in the two drives on the road against a good defense, The only two times this year this Michigan team was trailing, the offense responded by tying the game and retaking the lead. You got to take that, folks. You got to be happy about that. That is such a great sign. And the defense, which finally played a bad half of football. The offense had a bad half against Rutgers in the second half, right, with a blue, almost blue, I should say, a 20-3 lead. Now it was the defense that was slipping. And they gave up 26 points in the second half. Not, not what you expected from this Michigan defense, particularly after, excuse me, 29 points. 29 points in the second half. Particularly after pitching a shutout in, in the first half. But that defense, which appeared on the verge of utter collapse, giving up 29 points, responded big time responded on consecutive drives, responded with a forced fumble, a strip by Hawkins, who fumbled, who recovered the fumble himself. And I don't want to hear it from Adrian Martinez talking about he thought the play was over and he was just standing there. Come on, man. Come on. Stop it with that. That was a, without a doubt, strip fumble, fumble recovery, set up the game-winning field goal with still 124 on the clock, and the defense again had to bow up And they responded, got Nebraska off the field in downs. The Huskers only needed a field goal and the defense responded. So you have two huge pressure drives by the offense and two key defensive stops, including a turnover to set up the game winning field goal. That was that, folks, was a fantastic win, an absolutely fantastic win. We're going to talk more about that game with Isaiah Hull, who is there in Lincoln, as well as uh, the Michigan season up to this point and what we should look forward to in the second half of the season. And joining us now is Isaiah Hull. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with him if you're a Michigan Wolverines fan. He is the publisher of Wolverine's Wire. He covers Michigan for the USA Today Sports Network, and he also hosts his own podcast, uh, Locked on Wolverines. Isaiah, thanks so much for coming on today to talk some Michigan
1: football with us. Absolutely. My pleasure.
0: So you were at the Nebraska game. Let's start there. Um, This was the game that the quarterback afterwards, right, Kay McNamara said, you know, this is the type of game, We've lost in the past. Teams he's been on have lost in the past. Um, I know one of your articles focused on the fact the uh, didn't flinch. That was a quote I believe Harbaugh brought up, that this team didn't flinch. And I think we saw that with for the first time this season, this team faced a deficit, uh, two drives. The offense responded with a touchdown and a field goal. And at the end of the game, while the defense seemed to be collapsing in that second half, right, they did come up with big plays in terms of the forced fumble and the uh, the stop at the end. So, do do you agree with that notion that this is a different Michigan team and that they just don't flinch? And this was, you know, they won a game that they might not have won in the past.
1: Well, certainly, it's a different game in this compared to last year, right? In the sense of, aside from the Rutgers game, there really was no no, no chance if, if the game was close or if the Michigan was getting hit in the mouth and they weren't, uh, they, they were just going to fall down and take it. And certainly some of the road games in recent years going back, uh, though there were a few exceptions, it did seem like Michigan would, would flinch or, you know, sometimes they would come back. You look at 2019 Penn state, you know, they, they got punched in the mouth. They were down 21 to nothing. And they fought their way back. The defense had settled in, but they still couldn't get the job done. This was a situation where Nebraska wanted the game in the worst way. Uh, this was obviously a daunting environment for Michigan. It never seemed like it was daunting to them. And I think we saw a continuation of the Wisconsin game in that light because uh, it, it, they had gone into adverse atmospheres and in the past and did not look that good whether it was 2017, Wisconsin or Penn state. Again, I mentioned 2019 with Penn state also same thing with Wisconsin. Uh, The the last time that I can recall that uh, this team kind of went on the road in a big time environment and looked really good and uh, didn't flinch really was the Ohio state game in 2016. Yes, they lost that game, but uh, that there were other mitigating factors as to why Michigan wasn't able to come away with that game from You know, the obvious officiating, but also just if Wilton Spate's healthy, that that game probably goes a lot differently. Uh, So it it is a different look. We haven't seen Michigan go on the road to uh, 80,000, 90,000 person stadiums and uh, take the win since really 2015 Penn State. I think that's the last time I can think of where they went into a hostile environment of that magnitude. Uh, I don't really count uh, the Michigan State games of 16 and 18 because it seemed like those were, I, I I know there were more Michigan State fans, but it certainly felt like a more friendly environment with a lot of Michigan fans there. Uh, this wasn't that, right? This was a this was a loud, fiery atmosphere, and just again for the fact that Michigan, you know, kind of did jump around. Part two, this time down three. You know, it's they right, they I noticed
0: had, that.
1: Yeah, they gave up all of those, uh, gave up all the points. Really, to got got into a deficit going into the fourth quarter, and. I'm changing sides of the field and walking behind the Michigan bench and I look and I see that they're, you know, they're jumping around and in a pretty cool, pretty cool environment, right? It's everything's red and uh, the, the, they turn the stadium lights out and it, they still made it their own, you know, they never lost confidence. And uh, this was uh, when you look at the defense and yeah, it folded a little bit bent, and then broke a little bit. Uh, this was kind of expected, having talked to some people before the game, that they they knew they felt like Nebraska was gonna move the ball, that Nebraska was gonna score points. It was about mitigating disaster. And ultimately, that is what ended up happening. They, you know, in the end, they they came up strong with the Brad Hawkins force fumble. And then uh it, it kind of looks dire when on the last possession. Nebraska moves it to midfield. All they need is a field goal to tie it. Although that's not exactly a certain thing for them. Their field goal kicker was five for 10 going into the game. And uh, yet it's uh, you know, they held strong. They, they force, uh, they force a fourth and long situation and can't, uh, Nebraska can't convert. And that's uh, credit to the Michigan defense because Nebraska's offense really threw the absolute book at the Michigan defense and, uh, the fact that uh, they've they've seen so many looks, that they still were able to hold strong when it really mattered. The fact that you had the, uh, that the offense – I mean, the offense isn't getting enough credit for its ability to just move the ball at will when it really needed to. Uh, I think part of it was getting four field goals rather than touchdowns because uh, they would have gotten some touchdowns early. It wouldn't have been a game. But uh, a really great team effort situation where, like you said, they didn't flinch. They – they understood the stakes, they understood that, hey, if we want to be a special team, then we have to do certain things, and they did it, so huge credit to all parties involved,
0: yeah, I think I still wake up sometimes in the- in the middle of the night to see Ronnie Bell drop that touchdown in Happy Valley that would have tied that game at twenty one It would have been fun to see how Penn State would have responded had Michigan been able to come all the way back i I think you know I don't know correct me if you disagree, but I, I know you were at the game, so I don't know how much you got a chance to see Alabama A&M, but I think that was kind of an analogous game where you had a talented but underachieving team at home kind of pu- pushing all their chips to the middle of the table and and really putting a lot into that game to knock off an undefeated top 10 opponent and get a big signature win. And listen, I'm not saying uh Alabama you know Michigan is as good as Alabama or Nebraska is as good as a and but I think the scenarios were similar and while the style points might not be what everybody wanted with a three point win sometimes you just got to get that W and you know Alabama wish they got a W right coming out of that game and you know it's not always going to be easy and you're going to get challenged so I think it shows something when you're able to persevere and get a win in that type of circumstance
1: Oh, absolutely. And I didn't, you know, I didn't see a second of that game, of course, but uh, that that is uh, that's exactly it. Right. Because if Michigan loses that game, it's, you know, what is wrong with Michigan and all of those types of things. And I know there are some people that that look at Nebraska as a bad team because of its record, you know, three and four. Uh, I know that the, I do a weekly podcast with the pro football focus guys and they're they're not that high on Nebraska, but I still look at what Nebraska has done. They've just been so close to knocking off so many teams, right? They, they should have knocked off Michigan state. They shoot themselves in the foot. I mean, they were within striking distance of Oklahoma. They shot themselves in the foot. Uh, It's, that's just kind of what Nebraska does. This is a tough team that's only lost uh, all four of its games by one score. So it's not a, it's not a situation where you can take them lightly. They, they, it, it, at, at worst, they're like Indiana in previous years, but I think they're much better because they're much more dynamic on both sides of the ball. Really good defense, like just an incredible offense. Uh, so the fact that uh, Michigan escaped with a win, I mean, that's the important thing. I don't even like to say escaped because that really this was the first, as much as they like to talk about adversity with the second half against Rutgers or you know going into the second half against Wisconsin, this was the first real adversity of the season. Uh, This was the only time that they were really in danger of really actually losing because I, you know, going into the second half against Wisconsin, I never felt like they were going to lose that game. There was a point against Rutgers where I thought that was a possibility uh, because the momentum had completely shifted. But this was a game when Michigan, when the momentum shifted, unlike the Rutgers game. They did not let momentum stay with Nebraska, even though Nebraska would grab it right back when they were on offense, Michigan's offense, Cade McNavera, say whatever you want to say about him. He converted on a lot of third and long type passes uh, going into the second half. I believe they had hit like one or two third down conversions. It was underwater in the second half. It just really came alive whenever they needed to really move the ball. They did. And, uh, that's, uh, that's something that a, a really good team does a good offense does. And, uh, M- Michigan has a good offense, even though it sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Cause it's not high flying. I mean, it's still rated a top 25 offense by PFF. And, uh, you know, again, the, the, danger that can happen if you let your guard down for a second, you saw what happened with Alabama. Sure. Alabama could still make it to, uh, the college football playoff and win it all. Certainly they've done that in years where they've lost to unranked old Miss teams and such, but. It's, uh, you know, Michigan needs this, you know, they needed to win, win this game. They have no room for error. The players are well aware that the fans will turn on them the moment that they lose a game and they just don't want to be in that situation. So uh, it's a uh, huge credit to Michigan for finding a way to get a r- big road win. I don't think anyone's giving them credit for Wisconsin and Nebraska, given what those two teams are right now. But uh, we'll, we'll see what those two teams do from here on in, right? Like if Nebraska finishes eight and four, I don't think that'll happen. They play Ohio State, but if they finish if they manage to finish eight and four, uh, or uh, you know Wisconsin uh, and ends up finishing nine and three. Everything is a little bit of a different story. Uh, it, that that's the thing is you don't judge a team how it starts; judge it how it finishes. That's a reason why uh, I think people look down on Michigan State to some degree. They put their chest out and say, "Hey, we beat a couple ranked teams and." Northwestern and Miami. And those two teams are absolute garbage right now. So it's, you know, it's not something to really uh, talk about, you know, so it's uh, I think Michigan's played some pretty good teams uh, that will, a lot of them will be bowl eligible. And a lot of them are, you know, going to be a lot better than people think Western Michigan's one of them, obviously. And uh, we'll see where they go from here. Uh, Certainly this is a team that uh, got the job done when it needed it the most.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I think both Nebraska and Wisconsin are somewhat underrated. Um, Isaiah, let me ask you. You brought up your podcast with PFF. I listened to that, and you know they this was even though he set a career high with 255 passing yards, according to them, this was McNamara's lowest rated game. Um, Mm -hmm. You also wrote about uh, you know Jim Harbaugh saying that that interception might have kind of been a good thing, right? Or at least you said that might have been a good thing because Harbaugh really liked how. Cade responded to that so what what's your takeaway juggling you know what you saw what the coaches are saying what the numbers guys are saying in terms of McNamara's performance
1: well I, I stand by like what I said to uh, Anthony Trish on the the podcast yesterday and I've had to blow back by a couple people of course that are no, Cade didn't, you know, he wasn't uh, smart enough to see that there was an offside. Cade uh, uh, was 100% smart enough to see there's an offside. Like the issue 100%. is not. His, he, he, it's, his issue isn't that he isn't smart enough. Like he is certainly, I didn't even have to see the, the second interception that was called back. I didn't even have to see that there was a flag. Uh, I knew th- immediately as soon as I saw what he was throwing into what the situation was. Uh, it, and you've seen him and Vasardis kind of have those smarts of, uh all right, it's the, you know, offside situation, free play, let's go at it. I, I don't have a problem with it. Right. Like, and, you know, Cade took it in stride and essentially like, yeah, you know, it's got to happen sometime. Uh, I, I think that it's a, it's a fine thing, you know, that uh, because of like Harbaugh said, the way he responded, the way Cade said, like, you know, the way he was able to go out there uh, right afterwards, act like nothing had happened. I mean, that, We've seen quarterbacks in recent memory that once they, they make a mistake, they get rattled and they don't recover. I mean, look no further to last year with Joe Milton. Joe Milton, once he started making mistakes, and I, I'm not as critical about the Michigan State game last year, but Indiana, certainly, once he started making mistakes in that game, he never recovered from it, ever. He still hasn't recovered from it, and he's down in Tennessee and lost his job down there because it's the same thing. So to be able to see a guy able to figure out, okay, all right, well, that didn't work, but whatever. And go on and lead your team and make some big throws. And no, his throws haven't been perfect. There are certainly some things to clean up. No one's saying that it's been perfect, Uh, but Michigan is very adamant both on and off the record that Cade McNamara has won the job for many reasons and they like what he brings. He's Currently uh, only got one loss as a starter, and it, it's last year against Penn State, and he didn't finish that game. Uh, and certainly this year, he, he's you know they're undefeated. It's not despite Cade McNamara, as many Michigan fans probably wanna, would want to point out. But uh, really good resolve. And the fact that he – I think there's a couple other gears to him that we have yet to see. Uh, is he going to be a Heisman contending quarterback? No, he's not going to be that. He's not that at all. But certainly he can be a guy that can lead your team to, to wins. And that could include uh, bigger games like Ohio State, depending on what Michigan – if he can execute enough of what Michigan is asking him to do. Uh, I'm, just for the record, I'm not predicting that. I'm just saying that he has that capability. We just have to watch as the season progresses. We'll see how it goes the next couple of weeks against Michigan State. And, uh, I, you know, if, if, if he can go out there and win that game – That'll tell you a lot about what he's capable of. But we can, we've seen him throw the ball, right? And it's become a misnomer that he, you know, he can't throw. Michigan's not passing because he can't throw. But what did he do last year when he came out? Just was throwing all over the place. So it's, uh, I, I think there's more to his game than what we've seen. But they haven't needed to show it because the running game has been so good. Even though it, it you know, it took took a week and a half off, it made it feel like maybe the running game didn't exist but uh, it's, uh, you know, last week getting 205 yards and, you know, adding the 255, they needed him to have the all 255 and he got it. So that's the important thing.
0: Yeah. I think he definitely knew that was a a offsides on Nebraska on that throw into the end zone. I don't know if you were able to sense it being at the game, but watching it on TV, you can even tell. I was actually impressed. I tweeted. I was impressed at the Nebraska fans because their guy just intercepted the ball and you didn't hear like a roaring cheer. You didn't hear the typical thing you would hear on TV when the other team throws a, creates a turnover. Because I think a lot of the crowd even knew, well, that was a, you know, the guy jumped and that was a free play and he just threw it up. He took mm. a shot downfield. You know what I mean? So I think, I think if the crowd noticed it, I think definitely uh, the Michigan players and the, even the Nebraska players, they didn't even celebrate that much when they, when they picked the ball off. So, right. yeah, I, I'm definitely with you there. I, I think he definitely knew that for sure. Um, I You had another interesting column up about, uh, you know, what a lot of the people around the country are talking about Michigan. Uh, nothing from Paul Feinbaum, but there was a lot of positive stuff there. It's, it's kind of a strange place to be a, a, a Michigan either, a, you know, writer or Michigan fan to get all this positive talk about the program. It's been a while.
1: Yeah, it's, I'd still say it's kind of muted. It's not the, not like what we've seen in 2018, 2016, 2015. Uh, I think it's uh, it's certainly there's still a wait and see. Uh, Michigan's getting talked about, but it's kind of in passing, you know it, and, it, and they're often being mentioned with Michigan State, uh, which I think is fair. They're pretty much the same team you know when you look at what they're doing. Michigan State's got a little bit more of a dynamic offense. Michigan state or sorry Michigan's defense is a little bit stouter. So I, I think it's it, that's a fair place to kind of put them and let them decide on October 30th who's the actual contender and who's not. I mean, granted, they both still could be, you know, uh, depending on what happens. Con- considering both still have to play uh, Penn State and Ohio State, but uh, it's uh, I think it's I think it's deserved. I think when you get to six and zero, but they're still like I said, it's in passing. And I do uh, I do a weekly roundup on Sundays after the game of what the national media is saying. And it's, it's still actually kind of hard to find a lot of talk about Michigan. You usually find one, one outlet that will speak at length the last couple of weeks about what Michigan's done. Uh, But then outside of that, it's, it's just in passing. And ESPN's main takeaways article from David M. Hale, it's, it's still taking backhanded shots at Michigan. It's not really talking much about them. So uh, I think the, 'll you'll, you'll see the dynamic fully shift if Michigan's able to win in East Lansing uh, assuming Michigan state gets past I think regardless if it, if it does or doesn't get past Indiana which I assume it will uh, but uh, it's I think that would be the start of it and uh, I think it will be it'll be interesting though because you know the narrative always tends to be you know when Michigan beats Wisconsin or Penn state, it's like, well, they weren't very good Wisconsin and Penn state teams. And when the, when Wisconsin and Penn state beats Michigan, it's like, you know, that Michigan doesn't get that type of benefit of the doubt. Uh, So, you know, if, if, depending on with Penn state, they play Ohio state on October 30th. So it's two weeks after that. If Penn state's got two losses and Michigan goes and beats them, it's certainly that, you know, the, It's not going to be the narrative of Jim Harbaugh went into happy Valley and, and took, uh, took down the Nittany lions. It'll be, well, Penn state wasn't quite as good as we thought they were and such and such. So really the only way to get people talking about Michigan consistently for Michigan to be that team that everyone looks at as being kind of what I think a lot of Michigan fans still think the Wolverines are is to beat Ohio state. And that's going to be easier said than done. I've been saying that forever. Uh, So, yeah, it's nice to see that there's still some positive talk. Michigan is getting mentioned as one of the many potential teams that could come out of the Big Ten. But uh, I say kind of like what Joel Klatt said after the Wisconsin game, take things one week at a time because, you know, this team is taking things one week at a time. It looks different on a week-to-week basis, right? It's not – we don't see the same exact – Way of winning every single week for Michigan, and you know, first couple of weeks it was running the ball uh, against Rutgers. It was defense that ultimately ended up winning that game, uh, and then you know, against uh, Wisconsin and and uh, Nebraska, it was a little bit more of the passing game. So, uh, I, you, you kind of don't know which way Michigan's going to win on a given week. And uh, the thing is, is if we get too high now, Michigan loses to Ohio State, it will come crashing down in a hurry. And, uh, certainly with the way Ohio state's looking again, finally, uh, it's kind of hard to predict that that game will go any differently than it has, but, uh, still good to get some positive publicity. It's still probably not as much as you would think for the current number seven or number eight team in the country, depending on what pool you look at.
0: Yeah, for sure. It seems like with Michigan, particularly Harbaugh that the, uh, the way you weigh the game is after the result. If it's a, if it's a Michigan loss, then it's, Oh, that was a big game. That was a game against a ranked team. That was a game as an underdog. Uh, People love to pile that type of stuff on. And when it's a Michigan win, it's kind of like, well, that really wasn't that great of a game anyway. So uh, yeah, totally agree with that. That that's kind of been the pattern for a couple of years now. Um, So let me ask you, you just said, don't get too high um, from, My theme on this pod from the start of the season was let's enjoy this season. Kind of push out the negativity because I really thought this team was very, very underrated, undervalued coming into the year with a you know, their number in Vegas was seven and a half, which basically would have been Harbaugh's worst season since maybe his first year at Stanford. Um, I, I, I thought too much stock was put into last season. You know, I by I, I myself personally threw out what happened last year. If it was anomalous, if it was your best season ever, worst season ever, I kind of threw it out a little bit. And I think that's kind of coming to fruition because we're seeing Michigan bounce back. We're seeing Penn State bounce back. We're seeing Indiana not necessarily looking like uh, East contender, which some people had them label going into the year. But so I, I'm trying to push a positive narrative with the team. And but I agree you can't get too high. So I'm going to see where you're going to go with this question um six and oh first time since 2016 is is this the best team of the harbaugh era
1: it's too it's way too early to tell um i i'd I'd venture to say probably not 2016 i think was that team underperformed uh and i again if if wilton spate was healthy for ohio state then I, I th- and I know that, that Iowa game that I mean and I was there of course but I mean that that was the that was akin to Alabama and Texas A and M this past week you know it's Kinnick magic and such but I mean I, I think that that 2016 team could have beaten anybody in the country on a given Sunday or sorry Saturday and uh, I I don't think that that's necessarily the case with this Michigan team uh, this Michigan team kind of feels a lot like the 2018 team except for the 2018 team you kind of knew what you were getting, but I mean, it's still, it took like six weeks before you knew what you were getting. It took until the gauntlet and uh, then suddenly you kind of knew what you were getting this Michigan team. You, you, you know, there's not necessarily one definable thing that you know, that you're going to get on a given week. Like I said, in the last question, uh, are they going to, is the defense going to win the day? Is the, the run, you know, are they going to run all over you? Or are they going to be able to pass what's good? What's going to be the deal? You know, you don't really know, uh, on a given Saturday, what Michigan team you're going to get? Uh, they certainly had been dominating, right? Like it's funny because I feel like we don't talk about that because you know they just got came off of a three point win at Nebraska. The way the Rutgers game went, I mean, Michigan's dominated uh, out of the the six games. So twelve halves. It, it's essentially dominated what uh, ten halves of football. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of funny that we aren't thinking of Michigan as being that, but I still think that there's a lot to prove and I want to see it more consistent. The fact that we don't have a consistent barometer of exactly what this team is going to do on a weekly basis. And that is actually a credit to the coaching staff that it's, you know, they, they haven't decided like, all right, here's our identity and we're sticking to it. They're finding different ways to win. And that's important, right? Uh, Because that's one of the things that just plagued this team is that it, it, it was so stodgy and what it was and, it wasn't going to deviate from what it was. And with Don Brown's defense that, you know, once it got predictable and both play calling and schematically, there was zero changes until it was far too late. You know, the last two games of the year last year against uh, Rutgers and Penn state and uh, certainly against Penn state, those defensive players had no idea how to do what Don Brown was asking. Uh, suddenly, you know, it was a complete schematic change. So I, I don't think that it's necessarily the best team that they have. I think that, 16 probably was it. I think people overvalue 2015 a bit, honestly. Uh, I think 2015 finished strong, but I mean, they weren't out bludgeoning teams until that Rutgers game. Um, and even then, I mean, they double triple overtime against Indiana. I don't even remember how long it was. I just remember that was a long night. And, uh, you know, also, uh, you know, Minnesota and they did eke out the win at Penn state, but, uh, 16 is the one that I kind of have my eye on 18. If it wasn't predictable defensively against Ohio state, we'd probably be singing a different story. And uh, certainly, and I've been saying this for years too, when it comes to the bowl games, they'd probably have a better record. But the problem is, is, uh, the the years that Michigan has gone to uh, BCS era type bowls, the new Year's six, they don't want to be there. So it's, it's hard to tell guys who thought they were going to be playing in the college football playoff. Congratulations on your consolation, whether it's the Orange Bowl or the Peach Bowl, uh, you know, playing Florida for the second time in two years. Uh, that's not exactly uh, something that can uh, get guys up. And I always tell Jake, Jake Butt, who's my co-host on Fridays, about how uh, I, I knew going into the 2016 bowl game that uh, that I didn't think that they were going to be up for it just based off of his comments constantly telling us, oh, we're up for this game. It's sweet opponent. It just felt like they were trying to convince themselves. So I don't put much stock into that either. So with that in mind, I think 2016, they were deflated after the way that that game ended at Ohio State, feeling like it was taken from them, playing with an arm tied behind their back, like pretty pretty well figuratively there with Wilton Spate. And uh, I, I don't think that this team's quite of that level, but – Certainly they could finish that way because it's not how you start. It's how you finish. That team started strong and didn't whimper down the uh, down the stretch. But I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if by week 13 against Ohio State, we see a much different looking Michigan team than what we kind of have come to know the last six weeks.
0: Yeah, that Florida State game, I don't think either – side look like they really wanted to be there for the first three quarters of that bowl game. And, and I couldn't agree more. I think as somebody who, I don't know if you do, or you talk about it, but as someone who does uh, wager on, on these football games, you used to be able to think, Oh, a bowl game, both teams are going to give everything they have. You're going to get a real result. And I think the last couple of years, the first thing you think about before picking a bowl is who wants to be here, you know, who want, which team wants to be here. And you could see it, You know, one year Georgia didn't want to be there and Texas just beat the heck out of them. And then when Georgia does want to be there, they blow out whoever they play in the bowl game. So, yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And when you end the season on such a bad note in today's world, it's it just doesn't mean as much as it used to playing in a bowl and getting a bowl victory. Um, Isaiah, a couple more before I let you go. You talked about, you know, things that they're, they're going to need to obviously get better. We don't know what the final result is going to be of this team. I think you have them finishing 10 and two. Is that right?
1: Now I do. Yeah. Now you them. do. Yeah. Yeah. I had yeah. them eight and four. Now it would be disappointing if they didn't finish 10 and two. Cause you know, there's three wins that should be close to automatic. And I just assume that they'll, they'll get one of the three and, but you know, between Michigan state and Penn state, I think that that's probably pick one of those. And that's probably your win. So if, if, They're going to exceed that. What do you
0: think needs to happen?
1: I think you need to see more of the creative offense we started seeing the last two weeks, and you need the execution on top of it. Uh, Defensively, not having the breaks that you had against uh, Nebraska. Um, The problem is, is some of these offenses you're going to be facing, they're they're better than Nebraska. Uh, Not a lot. Penn State's offense doesn't really scare me in the least. Uh, It hasn't, even when it was like rated relatively high. Uh, They're not getting the run game going the way that people thought they would. And I always thought it was kind of crazy that people were saying that might be the best running backs room in the country, Um, probably because I was looking here in Ann Arbor. But um, I I think against Michigan State, first and foremost, you're going to have to pass the ball and you're going to have to do it a lot because that's their Achilles heel, being able to, to throw the ball all over them. Uh, and I'm not talking 250 yards. I think that needs to be a 300 type yard game, uh, for Cade McNamara. Uh, and that will help take, you know, that'll help you run the ball. I don't think you're going to be able to run to pass in that game. I think you're going to have to pass to run, and then you're going to have to hold your keys defensively because that's going to be a really hard offense to face off against just given, uh, given what we've seen from Michigan state so far. Yes, we've seen, you know, because I've, I've gotten some comments this week because i said that i think michigan loses that game uh people saying like oh well nebraska held them and you know and some other teams held michigan state listen michigan state isn't getting up for out of bed for nebraska the way it's going to get out of bed for michigan it's a completely different scenario we've seen it time and time again it's their super bowl uh it's going to be it's i know there are a bunch of transfers under mel tucker it's it's there's enough guys they're in that uh, in that locker room that uh, that they hate Michigan. They're being taught to hate Michigan. Mel Tucker's been around that, you know, that program before he became a head coach. So uh, I think those are the things that you have to you're going to have to out intensity them. And that's going to be really difficult um, against Penn State. I think if Michigan just plays the way that it's been playing, it can be Penn State. Uh, we've seen Michigan's offense do well against two really good defenses in Nebraska and Wisconsin. Uh, I think that if you can do what you did against Wisconsin, you can do it against Penn State. So, uh, And then Ohio State, you're just going to have to play 100% perfect. You're going to need the big passing yards. You're going to need to still be able to run the ball. Uh, you're going to need to try to outrush them, I think, try to play keep away from their offense, and then don't have any breakdowns on defense, just basically none. And because they're still going to get you right, great offense still out executes great defense. They're still going to score. They've got the best wide receiving core in the country. C.J. Stroud has figured out what he's doing. Travion Henderson looks like everything is advertised. So, just not you're going to have to stop them every now and again, and you're going to be able to have to have an offense that can duel them, uh, and just you can't turn the ball over. That's been the thing that I've been saying every time going into the, the Ohio State game. Make no mistakes. And every year Michigan makes, uh, makes mistakes. Ohio state makes very few. And, um, you know, the last time they played in 2019, I think Ohio state punted once. So you can't you, uh, you, you've got to force, force a few more of those. And uh, that's going to be a difficult challenge, I think, but uh, that's how you exceed, exceed that is on a, again, on a game by game basis, what you have to do, it, it can't just be, this well, you got to get better at you know one thing. You've got to be better at a lot of different things at a at all at one time in those particular games.
0: Uh, last question, uh, Isaiah, before we let you go, and uh, we definitely appreciate you coming on and giving us all this time. I- is there is there a guy that you you're looking for to be kind of a breakout candidate for the second half of the season? I think there's you know tons of options, whether it be a receiver like a Henning or Baldwin? Do we see more from Donovan Edwards as a running back? Uh, the defensive rotation in the front seven, I, I don't—I can't remember the last time this many guys got on the field. You know, Mozzie Smith, a Junior Colson was really, you know, flashing a lot. Who, who's the guy you think that's really going to be uh, a breakout guy this second half?
1: I think you nailed it at the beginning. Pick a, pick a receiver. Uh, okay. Baldwin... I, I think should be the guy. I mean, Henning, Henning is a guy I want to see more of, but we haven't seen more of him. So uh, we're, we're seeing Baldwin out there a lot, and he was hanging his head after the Nebraska game. So many different balls hit him in the hands, and he didn't come down with it. Uh, yep. Yep. Certainly plenty of times that he was starting to come down with it, got knocked away. Some of that could be on the, on the quarterback, you know, just not, uh, you know, not putting it in a place where only he can get it. So you want to see more of that connection. But Baldwin and Cornelius Johnson—I mean, all of them need to step up. You need to—you need to have—you need to have all of those guys really become. I—I I don't know. They just—they just had to find a way to—to to be a little bit better. And the quarterback needs to hit them more in stride, whoever it is. And uh, Cade's been a little bit late here and there, and uh, I think that's cost Michigan some points. So. Really, it's just any of the receivers, because if those receivers become the threat that they could be, then really, then you are working with an explosive offense. But uh, unfortunately, a lot of times it's it's you see the situation like we saw against Nebraska. Mike Sandra still has to lay out for for a catch, which is fine, in my opinion. But the problem is then you don't convert on a touchdown. It just seems so often in the last couple of years, this isn't even a Cade McNamara thing. You see the quarterback, throw, you know, get the, get the ball to a guy in space to get tackled on somewhere around the five yard line. And then they Michigan settling for a field goal. Michigan needs to f- find a way to have that more dynamic red zone offense to go along with it. And I think that's incumbent on the receivers, uh, I guess, as well as the running backs, uh, to be able to get through the, the holes that are being created for him. But, uh, I would have said Donovan Edwards at the beginning of the year, but I also didn't think that uh, what the duo with thunder and lightning was going to be quite as formidable as it's been. So I think you'll still see some sprinkling in of Donovan Edwards. I think if Donovan Edwards was in Ohio state situation, for instance, he would be having the same exact type of year as Travion Henderson, because I have that kind of faith in him. Uh, But I think they're just going to continue to bring him along slowly. Uh, I'm fine with the defense. Honestly, I think that we've seen kind of all the, the pieces and I think it's if it can just stay what it's been it'll be fine. Um so yeah I, I skill position players on offense is really what it needs to needs to step up a little bit more.
0: Yeah a week ago it looked like it might have been Wilson stepping up and unfortunately he he was injured in that game and I think they could have used him last week for sure. Mm,
1: absolutely kind of forgot about him since he wasn't in the last game. So
0: yeah yeah all right thanks a lot Isaiah that's Isaiah Hole he's the publisher of the Wolverines wire. He covers Michigan for that USA Today Sports Network. He also hosts his own podcast. Listen to that one as well. In addition to this one, Die Trying. his is Locked On Wolverines. Isaiah, thanks a lot. Really appreciate the time.
1: Absolutely. My pleasure.
0: I don't know about you guys, but I definitely enjoyed hearing Isaiah's takes and hearing what he had to say About this Michigan team, how they performed against Nebraska, and what the um, projections are for the remainder of the season. As far as I'm concerned, you know, obviously, I think you have to be happy with what you've gotten from the running game. Both Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins have performed extremely well. Both make big plays while they're different types of backs. Both capable of breaking off long runs. They're both also capable of handling the football and running running it in from short distance. Although I think I like seeing uh, when J.J. McCarthy's in the game in, in that moment. And I do like to see... Uh, I, I like the quarterback sneak, I gotta be honest. I'm a fan of the quarterback sneak, especially... When you can do the uh, bush push play, I, I would have liked to have seen that play rather rather than the handoff. Um, you know, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, so I think that could have turned a field goal into a touchdown in the first half. But all in all, you've got to be happy with how the running game has evolved. Had a little down down stretch uh, leading into the game against Nebraska and bounced back really well. What against what is a good. Husker's defense, the offensive line is blocking very well, uh, both in run blocking and pass protection. What I love the most there is how much they're minimizing uh, havoc plays by the opposing team. They're minimizing yards for loss, both in the run game as well as sacks. They protected the quarterback fairly well throughout the season. Cade McNamara as a quarterback to now he's been good he's been solid I think there's room for him to get better I think it's legitimately there's room to question what his ceiling is we don't know we don't know does he need to make decisions a little quicker I think so because he is late on some of his throws I think often when you think of an underthrow or a throw behind a guy it's not always an accuracy issue or an arm strength issue. Oftentimes, it can be just a uh, you're late on the throw. Does he miss some open guys? I think he does. I think he really needs to. That's a department he needs to get better at in finding the easy throws that his uh, coaching staff gets for him. We definitely need to see uh, receivers stepping up. Right now, there's not a single guy in that receiving core with Ronnie Bell out who's averaging over 50 yards per game receiving. Needs to be better than that. It needs to be better. I think Cornelius Johnson is the guy that's the most likely person to emerge as a go-to type of receiver. There are other candidates there. Dalen Baldwin is one. He was targeted 14 times last game, as we mentioned earlier, but he needs to do better. Hopefully, Ramon Wilson won't be out that long because he had his best game a week ago. He really stepped up and uh, showed what he can do offensively. Uh, Mike Sandra still, I think, is a nice uh, complimentary guy with speed, stretch the field type of speed, which we saw in his performance in Lincoln. Uh, finally, there's the guy who gets you know me and every other Michigan writer and podcast host. Uh, uber excited, and that's AJ Henning because he just explodes when he gets the football in his hands. But, folks, he's only got three catches this year, and I'm gonna guess that myself and others do not know more about football than this Michigan coaching staff, and certainly we do not know as much as the Michigan staff does about the Michigan players. So, I'm guessing there's a reason AJ Henning isn't getting on the field often as a wide receiver and isn't being targeted much because clearly he is a weapon when he gets the ball in his hand. So I'd like to see them find a way to do it. It doesn't seem like it should be that complicated, but obviously there's an issue there, whether it's him reading what the defense is doing when he's running routes or or it's his hands, which was an issue on one of the punt returns, which was a scary moment in that game in the first half. They definitely need more, from the wide receiver group if i was giving out grades that probably would be the lowest uh, graded group on the offensive side of the ball defensively you have to be really happy i mean they played outstanding football for 11 halves five and a half games 11 halves of football they played outstanding um, josh ross has been a prototypical senior leader type of linebacker which you love to have and love to see Um, When he was out of the game at times earlier in the year, you could see the difference. You have Aiden Hutchinson and Daxton Hill playing like star players, playing like future potential first-round pick. In Hutchinson's case, maybe a top-ten pick, maybe a top-five pick. I really like what you see from those guys there making plays. Dax Hill had a big pick, an impressive interception last week. Back-to-back games with interceptions for him. You're seeing young guys emerge like Nikai Hill green at linebacker as well as Junior Coulson, true freshman, out there making plays. Love what you see overall from the safety position. In addition to Dax Hill, you got another senior who's been here a while, Brad Hawkins, who made that big big play in forcing the fumble and recovering it to set up the game-winning touchdown. RJ Moten is a guy that we heard a lot about in the offseason. And he's really been an important part of this defense, even though he's not always there when the game starts. He's on the field on a lot of the key plays. On the defensive line, Christopher Hinton is starting to show what he can do, as is Mozzie Smith, who at times looks like a force, just bowling his way into the backfield. Chris Jenkins is stepping up and making plays as well. Mike Morris is another name. Of a young guy who's who's getting his first taste of it, extended playing time and looking impressive. Last but not least, I'm not going to forget about Mr. David Ajabo, who now has four and a half sacks and is only one behind Aiden Hutchinson for the team lead. Uh, Michigan really has a chance to have not one, but two guys crack double digit sacks this season. Could not be happier. With uh, the front seven, the defensive rotation, and the development of these uh, young players. These guys seem to be getting better and better every week. Now, in terms of looking forward, where I'm a little concerned is uh, it's the secondary still. It's the pass defense, particularly at corner. Vincent Gray, much, much better. Much better. Than he was last season. There's no doubt about it. This defensive scheme and coaching seems to really suit him well. I think we also should note, you know, something that Isaiah brought up was, you know, last year when they switched the defense, it's like, yeah, it's it's hard to do that in season. It's hard to just say, hey, suddenly we're gonna play a lot more zone and that'll fix things. Yeah, but we haven't been practicing zone that much all camp, all off season. Having the new defense worked on one better suits the personnel that's currently on the team you know maybe in the future with uh, will johnson coming in and maybe damani jackson you can play a little more man-to-man leave a guy on the island type of thing because you are trying to bring in those type of players right but you don't really have that type of elite corner on the island man-to-man Defense like you've had in the past, like you hope to have in the future. So I think what they're doing right now really fits these guys. Jamon Green has had a solid season. He looks like he belongs in the field. He looks like a starting caliber Big Ten corner so far, which I think was something we didn't really know coming off the last season. DJ Turner's had some decent moments. He's also seems to be getting a little handsy, gets a little too grabby. So I think that's something to be monitored in terms of the, the depth at cornerback. Team will be tested by better passing offenses moving forward and by teams that have uh, better quality receivers, whether it's a Jahan Dotson with Penn State, whether it's you know Michigan State with their explosive attack, and then obviously Ohio State, wow, that team has got a juggernaut of, a, of, a, of an offense all around. that That is still potentially the Achilles heel of this Michigan defense moving forward. Um, these guys are going to have to probably play better than we think they are if Michigan's going to end up winning the Big Ten East and going to the Big Ten championship game, potentially making that playoff for the first time. Offensively, I think it's really hard to ask for more from the running backs or the offensive line. You can definitely ask more from the receivers. We're going to need to see growth from all those guys that I talked about earlier, particularly Cornelius Johnson, Dalen Baldwin, and hopefully Ramon Wilson as he comes back. These are all younger players who are get playing in prominent roles, bigger roles. You know, Johnson obviously is in his third season. This is, this is the first time he's being viewed upon as a, a potential number one guy. Ramon Wilson uh, potentially getting starter-type reps when he's healthy. That's something he never has had before uh, last week's game, really. Uh, Dalen Baldwin does have it, but Jackson State is not the Big Ten. It's not the big house. He's doing it on a different level for the first time. There needs to be some improvement, and the same goes for the quarterback position. We didn't really talk about it on this episode. It was one of the things I wanted to bring up with Isaiah but it was keep him on too long but J.J. McCarthy coming in games being part of this offense you can't help but wonder particularly when you see what happened in Oklahoma in that Red River rivalry Oof! try saying that fast where they pulled out Spencer Rattler who was listen you can tell me Spencer Rattler's overrated that's fine but Spencer Rattler was a five-star recruit who many people had projected as the number one overall pick in the upcoming draft. So if he can get benched for a young, true freshman, talented quarterback, you can bet Cade McNamara can get benched as well. That's not a knock against Kate. And I'm not saying he should get benched. I think, you know, he's earned, he's earned the opportunity here. He showed he can respond. He showed he can take a take a hit, so to speak. You know, not necessarily a, a, a hit by a defender, but a hit in terms of his performance where he made a bad decision and threw a key interception that had his team fall behind. But he needs to grow. He needs to get better. This team is going to really, truly challenge Ohio State and Penn State and Michigan State to come out on top in the Big Ten East. Cade McNamara will have to do better. And it is possible that the breakout player moving forward could be J.J. McCarthy. I'm not saying it will be, but it could be. I would not be surprised to see him get on the field more and more and more. He was on the field in big moments. You know, sixth play of the game. Third down with the game tied. In the fourth quarter, with two minutes left, he's on the field. He didn't throw the ball. going to be run all the way, and most of his, uh, most of his reps... When the game is in doubt, most of his leverage reps, high leverage reps, have been runs. But just the fact that he was on the field in that moment just showed you there's a level of trust and belief that the staff has in, in Carthy's ability. So I think that's something that's going to be lingering every time McNamara has a bad game. And it doesn't mean people should be chanting for JJ in the, in the stands like they did in Norman because they finally got what they wanted and looks like maybe they were right. It's just something to monitor. And and I think you definitely, if you're wondering what Michigan can do to elevate themselves above a projection of finishing 10-2, and two, which I think seems to be kind of a little bit of a consensus out there, right? That they'll lose two out of the three between Ohio State at home, at Michigan State, at Penn State, and they'll win their other three games, which are games that they'll be... Uh, big favorites in, double-digit favorites in. So a 10-2 and two season prior to the year would have been spectacular. Nobody was expecting that. Although, I, you know, listen, I'm not here to pat my back, but I did say 9-3, and 10-2 going into the year. I thought the 7.5 number was ridiculous. But I think that is a potential game-changer for this program and for this team. J.J. McCarthy ends up being ready sooner rather than later to take a leading role as these games get bigger and tougher and Michigan's offense will need to be better and more explosive. You can't argue that physically there's something different about J.J., both the way he throws the football and the way he runs the football. And that could, wow, wow. Because I would really love to see this running game, the way Haskins and Corum are running the football, if the opposing team really had to deal with the threat of the opposing quarterback running, the threat of J.J. running, wow, I think this running game could really has, the running game has even another gear, I think. Because, you know, you, you always think about the quarterback impacting the passing game, and he could. He could improve that as well. But, boy, we know for sure. We don't know what he would do to the passing game. We know he would improve the running game by being on the field. There's a reason they put him in the game in those moments, right? And I really would love to see. I know it's hard. I don't know where you do it. They've run the ball so much um, as it is for most of the season up until the last week or two. But I would really love to see Donovan Edwards get a few more touches. I really would. I mean, I, I don't know. I Don't ask me where they're going to come from because I really don't want to take them away necessarily from Coram or from Haskins, but I would would love to see Donovan Edwards be a big part, a bigger part of this offense, I should say at least. A bigger part of this offense um, this season. I think he could be a guy that could be a difference maker in a big game that could make that one play. Thanks a lot, guys, for listening. I, I hope you enjoy the show. I hope you enjoyed our guest, Isaiah Hole, as much as I did. I'm your host, Danny Mogo, here on Die Try and remember. If you can, like, review, all that good stuff that everybody says at the end of the podcast. Help your fellow Michigan boy out. Go Blue.